Turn your Bibles this morning, John's Gospel, John chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and there we go. Hey, our missions group got back from Mexico last night at 6, actually, they got in Houston at 6 midnight, and uh, they pulled over the church at 6 in the morning, 12 midnight and 6 in the morning. It's my third service. Well, anyway, and I hadn't seen many of them this morning in church. I can't believe that. They were here before the rest of us, but I saw Pastor Travis was here, and my wife pulled in uh, 6.30 in the house. She and Rebecca had a great, great trip. Listen, honored to see you this morning. John's Gospel, John chapter 8. The Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, interesting passage of Scripture, a lot of questions that surround it, but yet it seems to convey the very essence and sense of Jesus' ministry for people who make mistakes. Now, how many know if you're in America today, adultery is not a big deal? But in the Bible, it's what's called a sin. It's outside God's boundaries for sexual behavior, to have uh, intimacy with someone other than your spouse. In verse 4, these Pharisees said to Jesus, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, stoning, pretty serious, taking up a rock and literally judging or killing someone. It's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, believe it or not, that there were several sins that were tantamount to a capital offense, and a person would literally lose their life. So here we've got this woman trapped. She's done wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they did with the man. They were the Pharisees. They were self-righteous people. They were religious people. They were the separatists. They were the ones who really used to be close to God. But at this point in time, they bear the brunt of much of Jesus' teaching. Jesus always loved people that were caught up in the struggles of life. But he was very adamant to resist the self-righteous religious people. Now, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger... And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said these words, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, if you want to judge someone, that's okay, but but let the person who has the, the, the righteousness to do it, let him be the one who throws the first stone. And, of course, you know what happened. Jesus, again, stooping and writing on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Some believe maybe he was writing literally their sins or he was perhaps just doodling on the ground. doesn't matter. The bottom line, these people are under conviction by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, older ones first, until only Jesus was left. He's there and the woman is standing there. In verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And listen to what Jesus said, No one, sir. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Now think about this. It is the perfect tension between a righteous God calling people to live a righteous life, but in the midst of our fallenness mistakes, having mercy. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. This idea that, you know, we've been talking about temptation the last couple of weeks. Remember this series on reflection? Last two weeks have been about Jesus and the 40-day temptation. You know, well, all of us know that we should say no to temptation, but how many know sometimes we say yes? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we say yes and step into it. The question is, then what? This passage deals with this subject in a profound way. In this passage, we're going to see temptation, which we presume happened before her adulterous act. I mean, certainly there was a flirtation. Certainly there was eyes that were meeting. Certainly a choice was made. Temptation is like a baited fishing hook. You know, you put the worm on it, and it's just kind of wiggling around, and that bass or that brim grabs it, and before you know it, they're hooked. 
Well, that's what we've been learning about. That's what Satan wants to do. Jesus showed us how he resisted temptation. He recognized God's standard, the Word of God. He quoted the Word to Satan, and, of course, the devil would leave him. But uh, Jesus shows us what happens. You te- you're tempted. Sin comes into the picture. And then judgment, some sense of condemnation. Well, how many know that God is a loving God, but He's also a just God? He's a righteous God. If you would may picture God this way, like a coin. You've got a nickel. One side's heads and one side's tails. Well, on the tail side is God's justice. On the heads is God's mercy. You don't have one without the other. How many know sin is a serious thing in life? Sin was so serious, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross to have fun. He went to the cross because sin was going to damn literally all of humanity to an eternal hell. Jesus came to rescue us. So it's a big deal. But in the middle of it, we see Jesus showing us what happens when repentance, which I think is, can be presumed as a part of this story, that she somehow had acknowledged her guilt before God. It's huge. But then there's forgiveness, there's confession, there's mercy, and then there's God giving a second chance. All this is caught up in this passage, and we're going to look at it in a couple parables this morning. But what I want to tell you this morning, the essence of this message called the God of mercy is this. God is more anxious to be merciful to us, to love us, than He is to judge us. The nature of God is not first a harsh God that wants to beat us up, but the nature of God, come on, is a God that loves us, that cares for us, and when we stray and go away from Him, God is eager for us to come back. This is not just about a message about Christians and those that are not converted. This is a message for Christians who fall into the trap of temptation, who slip into it and begin to pull away from God how eager your Heavenly Father is to bring us back. We'll talk about what the enemy tries to do, make us feel condemned, make us feel shame. Our own attempt to try to find justice and punish ourselves. But in all of it, you will see the mercy of God shining brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, we're going to look at three parables from Luke's gospel, the three parables that Jesus is talking to a group, again, the Pharisees about, these self-righteous people, and all three parables are about lost things. The first one we're going to look at is about lost sheep. We'll see that a shepherd had 99 sheep, one got lost, and how many know that one lost one is, come on, you and I, the person wearing your shoes when we stray from God, God, and Jesus say, I'm like the good shepherd, and I go and I'm going to find that sheep. And the second parable was about a woman who had a lost coin. And she literally tore the house apart. Ladies, you, well, everybody knows what it's like trying to find your car keys. I mean, how you, you know, let's say if you can't find them and it's been a long time and you've got to use the car, you've got everybody in the house looking for your keys. Well, here's what the Bible will teach us. That's how God looks for you and I when we get off the track. When temptation grabs us and we say no, or we say yes to what we should have said no to, God goes looking for us until he finds us. It's difficult to understand, and I don't know how good a job I can convey, but God is a just God. He's a holy God. Our our Bibles say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Be ye holy, for I'm holy. To be holy means to be separated, separated from the world, separated from sin. But yet at the same time, God is a merciful God that loves us and cares for us in our struggle. So this is kind of the picture this morning. And the third parable that we'll look at is the one we'll spend the most time in. It's about a lost boy. It's about a boy that in rebellion, he's called the prodigal child. In rebellion, basically, he just left his father. And you'll see the loving heart of God on display today when, uh, when we turn and walk, uh, when we walk away from him. So look in, look in the scripture with me this morning. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And uh, let's begin there. Again, the father's heart towards sinners like us. Now, I'm going to use a word today because it's in the Bible. It's the word sinner. Sinner simply means is someone that's acting in rebellion towards God. 
someone who's going their own way, doing their own thing. And, and, and that's kind of the, the, the picture of the story. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors who were like, you know, the IRS agents time 10, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is interesting. Because the Pharisees, now they're the self-righteous religious Jewish people, the Pharisees muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So right off the bat, what Jesus is going to say is, I care about broken people. You know, you may look at me and you may say, well, you know, he's got his life together. And blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Everybody has struggles in life. Everybody who knows better. The problem is not a knowledge problem. Everybody struggles in life. It's not just the person that was out all night last night and, and didn't know where, they, you know where they were when they woke up this morning. I mean, no, it's the sinner is not just the person who makes their living on the street corner. All of us are sinners in some fashion. I, I, listen, I don't care if we live on the street corner at the country club. All of us struggle with this thing of rebellion against a holy God. But Jesus was welcoming them. And here's the picture we see about the nature of God and the call for our own lives. Jesus was not in the world. In other words, he wasn't, you know, doing what the people in the world did, but he loved them in spite of what they were doing. He was in the world, but not of it, which is our challenge. Because there's a message for us as well, is Jesus wants us to care for people that are broken in this world. Jesus wants to care for people who are, I don't care how many abortions you've had, I don't care how many times you, you, you know, if you've murdered someone, how many times you've been divorced, just go down the laundry list of the things that makes us ashamed or the things we knew we shouldn't have done but did anyway. Jesus cares for you. Now, in this whole message, again, I mean, no, there's two sides of the coin. One day, God will judge the earth. Hell is a real place. It is an ultimate judgment. There's discipline. There's consequences when we sin. Sin matters. When you rebel against God, it matters. And I don't want to tell you it doesn't matter. And I don't want to tell you that you can just come to church and say, Bless me, Father, I've sinned. Now I'm going to go and do it again. I mean, it, it, there's got to be a little bit more than that. But all these truths come together. But in the midst of all of it, God is first and foremost a merciful God. He is a loving God that will meet us wherever we are in our life. God is a God that's there. Satan wants to keep us down, but have me know God wants to lift us up. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. So, here's the picture. Verse 3, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Mind you now, we're the lost sheep, and he's the shepherd. He leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the lost sheep. Now, that doesn't make good business sense for you to leave 99. How many know there's always some loss? There's always something, you know, there's a sale you lose, there's a whatever. It's not worth it. Can I tell you, one person is worth it to Christ. And he will search for you until he finds you. Now, and, and what I mean by that is that, 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 that no matter where you are, how far away from God you get in the far country, there's still in your heart a sense that there is a loving God. Come on. There is someone that when you pray, He will answer you. He will not put you on hold. He will not ignore you. It's not like calling a call center in the third world somewhere trying to get your, you know, your phone fixed. God is there. He's answered the phone. He's very near to those that call upon Him. That's the nature of God. That second parable will show us the same thing, and I don't have time to read it, but a woman lost, lost her coin, and she searched until she found it. And I want to tell you, God searches for us when we're walking away from Him, when we're struggling with sin, when we are going out in the far country. Your Father in heaven, His nature is to look for you because He loves you, and His love for you is not contingent on how well you're behaving. Now, listen, now there's way more favor in life. There's way more blessings in life when we stay on this narrow path. Now, you understand that. 
But I'm telling you, it's just like a mother's love for a child. I watch women, I watch dads whose kids, well, I don't care, go off in drugs, go crazy, get in rebellion. They never stop loving that child. And every time they come for prayer, listen, they are praying for that child to be restored to God. And it is mother, come on, that goes to the jail cell on Sunday afternoon because they still love that child. Now, can I tell you, the love of God for you and I is a million times more or a billion times more or a trillion trillion times more than the love that a mother has for a child that's caught up in jail. It is the nature of your father who created you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God came down from heaven for us. Now, when he finds the sheep, verse 5, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now, I want, I want you to think about your feelings because I know that there's, when, when you are deliberately trying to serve the Lord and you get off the pathway, you feel guilty. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. Can I tell you, to have a, a conscience that bothers you is a good thing. It's good to have a conscience because you know what? You can harden your conscience. Because here's what happens. When we sin, when we mess up, something inside says, you're not even worth praying. God's not going to listen to you. Come on now. Because of what you've done. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't want you. And, 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 that, and, that, and this lie that's in your mind. But there's still this sense of this little voice calling. It's the voice of God saying, come back home. I love you. I care about you. Well, Jesus, or the Scriptures, when he found that sinner, it was with joy that he put him on his shoulders. Now listen, that doesn't negate the fact that what he did was wrong, but God is happy when we come back. Because it is way better to stay with God than get away from him. That's where your problems are. But when you walk with God, but he is happy that you come back. Well, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you, verse 7, in the same way. That is, he's looking for you with joy when he finds you. There's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Now, now there's a key word. It's the word repent. Repent is change. I don't mean that you just feel bad when cry on the altar. Listen, tears are good, but tears are not repentance. God doesn't want us to just feel bad. God wants us to make the turn in life and come back to Him. It's a missing word in American Christianity, this word repentance. We'll talk about it a little more later. But look at verse 11 now. Again, that's the first parable. And, and the second was about the coin. But this last one I want to spend a little more time on. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me some money. He divided his property between them, and not long after that, he went off and he squandered the money. Now, here's what I want you to see and understand. In the, new t in the, in the Jewish law, there was literally a law that talked about inheritance. And in their law, if there were two, two kids, the older one would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger would receive one-third. It was by law. Dad didn't have to make a will. That's just the way that, that's the way that property was distributed. But it was supposed to be after either Dad was dead or Dad was incapacitated to be able to care for it. And this young son asking for his inheritance early is simply a way of expressing his rebellion to live independently of his father's will. Let me say it again. When he asked Dad for this money, it's like our rebellion because we want to live independently of the father. Now see, this is where the sin started in his life. It was in his heart. It manifested. But no, lo and behold, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a far country, a distant country, and squandered his wealth 
in wild living. Now, the Bible didn't say he immediately left. After some time, he left. So I want you to think for a minute how you would feel if your child had done this to you. All right, let me put your, you in, in, in the shoes of this father who's a picture of your heavenly father. Imagine if you gave that child a third of what you'd earned all your life. And the day after you give it to him, he's driving up in a brand new Lexus, buddy. I'm telling you what, decked out, leather, finest, no, a BMW, whatever it is. He is in a mobile. And he comes up and you come behind him and uh, you're driving an older car. Come on, because you've invested all your life. You're trying to get by. And he just bought him this brand new car right off the lot. He goes to the internet and he starts booking tickets. Come on, for Las Vegas. And all his buddies, he's paying for them. And he's getting a hotel and he's getting whatever the premier package is because he's going to go have some fun on your money. You see, some people are shaking their head. Not on my money, he ain't going to do that. Well, that's what happened, in essence, to our Heavenly Father when Adam and Eve started this thing called sin and getting away from God. Now, here's what you've got to understand, though. The promise of the world, this temptation for while living, is an empty promise. Let me say again, it is an empty promise. Last night, I can guarantee you, there's people that woke up in our town this morning and they don't know if he used protection last night or not. People woke up this morning and don't know how they got home. People looked in their billfold and they didn't realize they had spent that much money, come on, on cocaine. You say, oh, those evil bad people. Then you're a Pharisee. Because Jesus went looking for them. But it's an empty promise. You don't believe the world offers empty promises? Listen, yesterday afternoon thinking about the party, going to have some fun. You realize statistics tell us every day between 35 and 40,000 people get a sexually transmitted disease. And some of them don't go away with penicillin. But that's what was going to be fun, and that's how you ended up. And then there's the unwanted pregnancy, and then there's the guilt over the abortion. See, that's what's supposed to be fun. That's the way that I was taught as a child. Well, not taught, but that was the wor- that's what the world's message said to me. The world's message says... Just this one smoke, just, just, just hold it in, this, and you're going to have fun. And you don't realize one day that you're in an orange jumpsuit, come on, because meth has destroyed your life, and you've stolen from your family, and you have no place to go, and now you're in jail just so you can get a hot meal. That's supposed to be what the world offers is fun. The offer of easy money, violating your conscience. It's all fun. What do you think is happening at Penn State right now? Some base evil desire that the Bible calls sin, some man or men said, I want to express that. And they began to do it for years, and the system around them insulated them from judgment. But I want to tell you, friend, sin has consequences. You cannot escape. It might not have affected you yet. But in in, any, what, 65 now, the Sadusky guy? One day it will get you. You may be like Teflon. I know people like that. I don't understand it, how they can go from, from crazy to crazy to crazy to crazy, and they seem to never be affected. Listen, the question is not, will sin cause judgment? It is, when it will come in my life. There's a progression the way this thing works. It doesn't just start 
like that. James 1.14 says people are tempted when their own evil desire leads them away and traps them. So I've got a desire in my heart, and I guarantee you, everyone in this room has a couple of areas, two, three, one, two, three, four things that, listen, are your struggle. Some things may not be a struggle to you, but don't be self-righteous about them. There's some things that are a struggle in your life that the tempter is this far away from pulling you down. Desire leads to sin, and sin grows and brings what? Yeah, it brings destruction. It always happens. That is the way it works. And here's the crazy thing. After the devil pulled you in its trap, then he beats you up with guilt. The thing that was supposed to make me happy, now I feel shame and condemnation over. You know, I just feel so bad that it happened. But before it happened, it was supposed to be so fun. Listen, that's what the devil does. Aren't you glad the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation? Come on, to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the dictates of the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm telling you, God wants to free us from those things. Well, that's where this boy is. Look at verse 14. Now, he's out there while living, living in the far country. He spends everything, and there's a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, can I tell you something? The best thing that can happen to you is to be in a famine and in need. On the surface, it looks like a bad thing, and you may think it's the devil, but it may be, listen, your needs may be God's way of trying to get your attention through his discipline to pull you back to him. All right, listen now. So he went now, and, and, and you know what? You, we make a huge mistake when we try to prevent people from experiencing this when they're in rebellion against God. I understand. I'm a parent. But at some point, come on, we've got to experience the far country. It got so bad for this boy, he hired himself out to a citizen, and he, and, and he sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods, the pigs, carob pods, the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. He is on skid row. Do you understand? He's eating out of the garbage can. He is committing a crime so he can have a bed to stay in when it's cold outside. I mean, this guy is on the bottom of the ladder, and God still loves him. And there always needs to be a place in our hearts for people that are this broken by sin. Now, you may get frustrated with them. You may want to throw them in the ditch, and that's where they need to be. You understand what I'm saying? But at some point, I still want to have the compassion of God for broken people. If they're on Skid Row or the Country Club, how I many know brokenness, come on, is brokenness, whether you put a fancy pair of shoes on it or whether it's just barely wearing shoes with holes in the bottom of it. Brokenness and brokenness, and God cares about people. That's where this boy is. And here's, God is a just and holy God, and he will not tolerate sin. Now, listen. But he loves us enough to discipline us to get our attention. Here's what I want you to understand. It's just like, you know, a parent, if your child is, uh, you know, is, is running out in the street, what do you do? Have a good time. No. You get their attention and you somehow say, you know, bad, that's not good. You're going to get hurt. Uh, I'll tell you something if you won't tell my wife. She got here in last night at 6 in the morning, like I say, so she's not here. Uh, my wife is not a dog person, and um, I gave Tucker a bath, and he stayed in the house with me longer than he normally would while she was gone. Linnell's gone. Don't you tell her I said that. Rebecca's gone, so I give Tucker a bath, and we watch TV together, and he just, you know, he just lays down there just like that. And, and he's outside thinking now he owns the house because it's been, you know, four or five days, and then he starts scratching on the door. And then I have to smack him and say, hey, wait a minute. Now, I'm the one that gets to decide when you come in the house. You can't just come in when you, you know, ring the doorbell. Okay. 
That's what God does. Is he disciplines those he loves. Listen to the Bible, Hebrews 12, verse 5. The Lord disciplines those he loves. If you're in a famine, if you're in need, it could be God and it could be an act of love. God's discipline, verse 10, is always good for us. Now, this is big. So we might what? Share? Now, holiness is, is, an, is kind of a, you think of, of a priest in a robe. To be holy means to be set apart unto God and set apart from sin. Scripture says, be ye holy because, yeah, because I am holy. Without holiness, Hebrews, no man will see God. So the set-apart life, would you agree with me, is an important thing. So I'm talking about the mercy of God, but I'm telling you there are consequences. And if you stay on the wide path, your life can be destroyed because your heavenly Father will not make you come back home. This boy could have stayed where he was and lived in the squalor of rebellion all his life. Hebrews goes on to say, verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable <laughs> while it's happening. It's painful. And everybody said? But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living or righteousness for all those who have been trained in this way. The best way to get the attention of Americans is through their checkbook. And you may find in your life, if you're living independently of God, God will put the squeeze on it. Can I tell you, he's doing it not because he's angry or mad. He does it because he loves you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand here. It's, it, it, it is, this is where we live. Look at verse 17. Now, here's again. We're back to the boy. While living, party, fun, money's all gone at the bottom of the barrel. Notice what it says. He came to his senses. Now, this is not just natural stuff going on in his head. God has dealt with his heart. This is all a spiritual picture. This is not just a son and his father. This is a spiritual picture. He came to him senses. You know what our senses are? Listen, there is a God. Come on, he loves me. He, 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 Jesus died for me, and I'm going to follow him. He, he came to his senses. You know, he realized that the party scene was not where life was at. Listen, at some point, what you were doing to find happiness has not made you happy. The people that were going to say, I loved you, come on, if you slept with them, after some point you realize they don't love you, they just... And at some point you just come to yourself and you say, what am I doing? It could be God wooing us to Him. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? I'm starving to death. Sometimes we need to let people go out into the harsh place rather than enabling them. But listen, verse 18. I'm going to set out and go back to my father. See, this is repentance. It's a big word. You know, repentance is not just feeling sorry, but you know what? It's good when you feel sorry for sin. To have a tender conscience is a wonderful gift. He felt sorry. I'm going back to my father. Repentance is not just feeling bad. Repentance is turning around. You know, repentance was the message of the New Testament, and it is the missing message of the, New, of the American church. You don't hear messages about churn and change. Now, we talk about believing, which is true, but believing divorced from repentance is not biblical believing. Because belief in God implies a turn and a change and a following. Not just sorrow and not just tears. How many know Judas had tears after he betrayed Christ? You know, it, it, repentance, though, is the change that turns me back. It's the choices, it's the decisions that I make. And that's what was happening. You know, repentance was the first message of Jesus. You go back and read Matthew's Gospel. When he begins his preaching ministry, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Guess what John the Baptist said? Same thing. 
A baptism of repentance. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? Repent. I believe it's Acts 2.38. Repent. Turn around and follow God. That's what's happening. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now, what he said was absolutely correct. But how many know we're not worthy either? How many know the basis of our worthiness before God is not how good I've been, but it's because of Christ and Christ alone. It's because his blood has washed away my sins. And though my sins are as scarlet, he makes them as white as snow. So does it matter what I do? Yes. Are there consequences? Now listen, the mercy of God does not negate consequences. If you commit a crime and you go to jail and are experiencing justice, the mercy and forgiveness of God may not get you out of jail, but God will be with you in jail and give you a fresh start when you get out. Listen, when we live on this crazy pathway, uh, it will produce bad memories that may not go away when you become a Christian. I, I had a dinner in the cafe Wednesday night, which is great, by the way, and I was talking to a couple of teenagers, and I was saying, listen, the saddest memories from my life the things that I have the greatest regrets out in my life happened when I was 17, 18, and 19. I didn't tell them what it was, but I'm telling you, the choices that you make, there are consequences to our behavior. But in the middle of that, guess what? That's when God started looking for me. God didn't start looking for me when I said I'll be a preacher. God started looking for me when I was right in the middle of the world doing all these crazy things that all my crazy friends were doing, but yet weeping as a 19-year-old boy, and I did not have a mental problem. I had a God void in my life, and I began to be aware of it, and the stuff didn't satisfy anymore. You cannot smoke enough, drink enough, or have sex enough, come on, to take care of your problems. You, you, you cannot do it because you're trying to find a sense of purpose and meaning and happiness that's apart from Christ. You were created to have God fill the void. Come on. Well, that's what's happening. This guy, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a servant. Well, tell your neighbor, you're not worthy either. But Jesus makes us worthy. Look at verse 20. He got up and went to his father. Now, let's go back now. Mind you, this is the boy that took all your money and spent it on the BMW. I don't mean a used one that he got or uh, a Rolls Royce. Nothing wrong with BMWs, okay? If you, can have, if you can have one, great. If you don't like yours, give it to me. I'll drive it. But he showed up, spent all the money in Las Vegas. Okay, this is your money, right? You're the father. He got up and he goes back to his father. Now, this boy has repented. He's gone through the whole bit. Temptation, failure, fall, suffering, judgment, consequences, repentance, going back home. Notice what happens. Long while he was still a long way off. Isn't it the coolest thing to know that as far away as you've ever been from God, God is there looking for you. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care how deep the hole in or how deep the ditch is. God is longing for you. Long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion. He didn't say, here's this credit card receipt. He's filled with compassion. He runs to his son, listen, throws his arms around him and kissed him. And did he throw his arm around him because he, 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 uh, he deserved it? No, that's what mercy is. Mercy is God's kindness to those of us that don't deserve it. He throws his arm around him, kissed him, keeps going though. 
Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sin sinned against heaven and against you. Confession is important. It's a part of the process, acknowledging your sin. I've sinned against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And Jesus, or the father, interrupts him. He doesn't let him say, make me a servant. He interrupts him. And he said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, the best robe was reserved for a special guest. He didn't give him the same crummy robe that he wore before he left. He gave him the best one in the house. This guy that had just taken advantage of him put a ring on his finger, not a servant, authority on his finger, sandals on his feet. Sandals were not, you know, like today everybody wears shoes. Uh, slaves didn't wear sandals. Slaves, uh, sandals were a luxury in their day. And it was simply a way of the father was expressing full acceptance of you. Not approval of what you did, come on, but acceptance of who you are as my son, as my daughter. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. That's the heart of the Father for us. That is the heart of our heavenly Father. Let me close Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And this is a, for, for a lot of you here today, you know everything that I said today up here. But what do you do? And this is, this is, this is where the message is going to conclude. What do you do when you've been caught in the middle of it again? See, it's one thing if I mess up and, you know, I just got tricked and trapped. But it's another thing if I set myself up. It's another thing if I plan to get in position to sin. It's another thing if it's willful and deliberate. I don't know about you, but if those issues are in my life, I don't want to come close to God because I don't feel I deserve it. Listen, and justice demands that I somehow be punished. Listen, the kids know that dog knew when he needed a spanking. You know, I know. People drive down Mall Drive to come to church, but the closer they get, they feel like they're not worthy. I'm telling you, they'll drive away. They get out of the car, they walk to the building, but because of their shame. Remember what the devil does? He woos you into it, and then he beats you up because of what you've done. It is the devil. When you are in the middle of your mess, the Bible teaches us that we go to God. Not after we've cleaned ourselves up. Now listen to this passage. Hebrews 4.14 Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who's gone into heaven. Now, think Old Testament. What did the high priest do? The high priest represented sinful people to a holy God. He was the intermediary. He would have the blood of a sacrificial animal and he would go that that would cover or atone for the sins of the people once a year into the holy place. The high priest was the go-between. Jesus is the go-between. And listen to what it says, verse 15. Our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses. You know better. That's not the problem. The problem is our flesh is weak. But Scripture says Jesus understands. He doesn't approve. But he understands. And here's his prescription. He was tempted in every way, just like us. But he didn't sin. Verse 16, let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there's grace. Grace is God's kindness to us. Therefore, we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it the most. See, other translations say something like this. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. It is the last thing I feel like doing, but it is the first thing I should do. Because Christ is not there to beat me up. 
He is the good shepherd, come on, that's looking for the sheep. He is the woman that's looking for the coin and will search that house until she finds it. He is the father that's looking and a long way off when Junior's coming home, he starts getting excited. Come on, and Jesus gets excited when we make the turn from the world back towards him. Whether it's a little turn or a big one, come on, give him a hand this morning. He gets excited. Now listen, I want to pray for you this morning. We'll pray for everybody because, you know, this is one of those messages, this affects all of us because this is a struggle every honest person on the planet has. But I wonder this morning if I could be real personal for just a moment. When I'm opening the Bible and sharing these words with you, do you feel like you're that prodigal son or daughter? When I was reading about someone who just abandoned what they knew was right and went off to a far country, is that you? Because here's the deal, friend. If it is, today could be the day where you come back to God. And I believe today that I am the mouthpiece of God where your Heavenly Father is simply saying to you today, come back to me. You'll never find what you're looking for out in the world, but you'll find it in Christ. So I wonder today, friend, is that you? Do you need to make the step to Christ today? First time, coming back, whatever, doesn't matter. There's a feeling in your heart right now. It's like a tug of war. One side of you wants to just run out of the building and get out of here. The other side said, I need to go home. I need to go to the Father. I need to run to God. Which one are you going to listen to? Listen, we'd be honored to pray for you this morning. Before I pray for the whole crowd, we'd like to pray for you. Because if you're like that young man, if you're that lost sheep, if you're that lost coin, and God is tugging on your heart today to come back to Him, listen, we'd love to pray for you and love to rejoice with you. If that's you and you want to commit your life to Christ, and come back to him. Slip your hand up real high. Come on, do it quickly this morning. God bless you, and God bless you. Come on, others. I, I want to get right with God today. I want to put my trust in him. I, I, I want to come back home. I, I want to I come back to Christ. See, here's the thing I know. If you can't, it, when you leave this church, you're either going to leave with the potential for change having worked in you, or you're going to go back to the world that you came in just like you were. And I'm telling you, it is hard to say no when you're in the middle of temptation. But when you're in the middle of a place where angels and people are going to rejoice with you, that's the time you make a step to God. And I wonder if you're here today, I'll ask one more time this morning. And this is not to join the church. This is just trying to get you off the wide path, back on the narrow path. And if that's you this morning, say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. I want to come back. Lift your hand again. Anyone else this morning, pray for me this morning, Pastor. I want to commit my life to Christ. Well, God bless you. God, I saw those couple hands. And God bless you too, dear. Listen, I know there's a lot of people. It's hard. It's hard to do that. Well, why would you? Why are you have to do that publicly? Well, Jesus did say, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. See, baptism is a part of that. It's a public confession. I'm telling you, Satan wants to hold you down. And I normally don't do this, but I just, I just feel that there's people that are here today that are just held in the world, and it doesn't want to let go of you. And I'm telling you, friend, Satan will do everything he can to keep you back. But if you will have the courage to say yes to Christ, Jesus can give you the life that you've dreamed of living.
I'm going to ask right now, just with your courage, if you want to get right with God today, I want you to just come and stand with me right now. Come on up here, dear. You that lifted your hand, come on up here. Others, others that need to be here, come on up here this morning. I want someone to come and stand with them. God bless both of you. Others, come on this morning. Let us help you. I don't want a thing from you. I don't want a thing from you. We're going to point you in the right direction. Give them a big hand as they're coming this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, dear. I need some workers to come, and they're going to pray with you and help you. God bless you. Come on, I need some people to come and help them. God bless you, man. God bless you. Every move to God is always the right move. I need some Christians up here. They're going to they're gonna talk with you and pray with you. Let me tell you, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. There's nothing out there in the world. You know where it is? It's in the middle of the will of God, and we're real happy for you. We're proud of you. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you today. I just wonder what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about this morning. I just want you to just welcome God in a fresh way. We'll be out of here in a couple minutes, but right now, engage with me just a minute. Would you just say, Lord, I do want to surrender my life to you. I do want you to be first in my life. If you do, I want you to just kind of slip your hands up as an act of surrender to God. Say, Lord, I just want to surrender my life. I don't want to live out in a far country. I don't want sin to control me. I don't want to wander away and be a lost sheep. I don't want my life, I don't want those around me to suffer because of my foolish mistakes. I just surrender my life afresh to you, Lord. I just welcome you today. Would you just talk to God just a moment? Would you just receive His grace right now? For whatever sin that you struggle with, would you, by faith, come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy? Could I just speak a word over you that condemnation would be broken and shame would be broken? And that every lie the devil has whispered in your ear would be broken. That your worth comes because of Christ. And you are his daughter and you are his son. And I don't care how many times you fall, God wants you to rise up again and come and stand and be with him. So I just want to bless you today and just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be in your life. We welcome you this morning in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Our prayer team is going to come now. And if you, just, if you just want someone to pray with you about anything, maybe there was something in the message that touched your life, but you just want to come for one last touch from God, we're going to have one closing song, and then we'll be free to be dismissed. But I want our prayer team to come to the front right now. And uh, if you need to talk to somebody about the message or anything, you come, and we'll be happy to pray with you. Go ahead and sing, Pastor. Pastor.